Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. I want to pick up this, this message on Nehemiah, Lessons from the Wall. Last week, um, we, were, we were in uh, Nehemiah throughout, I think, chapters 2 and 4, and a little bit in 5 and 6. And I've just been chewing on this more and more this week, and I just feel like this is a well to continue to draw from. And, and some of the lessons that we drew out last week were, you know, when we take steps toward our mission— the, the mission that God gives us, we can expect opposition. When we take steps towards the mission, we can expect opposition. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah showed up on the scene. He said, hey, we're, I'm here, let's build this wall. And immediately there were some guys, outsiders, not Israelites, but they were outsiders of the camp. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem. They said, we don't like this. We don't like this. We want all access to Jerusalem. We want all access. We want to push our values on the people of God, not them to be fortified. And Nehemiah met that opposition, but he remained confident in who God is, and he remained confident in what God called him to. That was one of the lessons that we drew from. The other thing is, is the enemy is often going to try to use external circumstances to, and, and influences to get us off course. But if that doesn't work, he will shift direction. He will change his game plan. You can guarantee it. He's going to do what he can. If he can't pressure you from the outside, he's going to start pressuring you from the inside. He's going to start causing dissension and division and divorce within your camp. And that might be within your marriage or in your own house. That might be here in the church. It might be at work, it might be at school, it might be in the government, it might, all kinds of places the enemy is trying to cause dissension and division and divorce. But, but when we get united, when we refuse and see the enemy's tactics and we say, we're, we're not buying into that, we're gonna refuse that, we're gonna put up a guard against that and we're going to fight for unity, God does something miraculous. He does something greater than we can just do ourselves. He does something exponential beyond what we can do. Any one of us or even together collectively, he does something supernatural and he helps us accomplish something great for his kingdom. But we gotta fight for that unity. One of the other lessons we learned last week is that you know, we can't just let our everyday work, our coming and going, just be, on, just be busy work. We don't just wanna go through life on cruise control. Before Nehemiah had showed up on the scene, they had been trying to get this wall built and their city rebuilt and their lives rebuilt for 72 years. More than seven decades. Why couldn't they get in it? Because they were demoralized, because they were going through just on, you know, it was just busy work. They were in cruise control. And when time passes like this, it's easy for us to lose sight of what we've been called to do. It's easy to give up hoping. It's easy to stop being diligent. And it kind of felt that way for a long time. It kind of felt that way every time I drove into Nashville on the 440. It felt like I was losing hope. Are they ever gonna get this project done? Remember, it's like sometimes these, on 96, 
or, or 99, I should say, on 99. How long is it gonna take this to get this project done? And you start to lose hope. You start figuring out, I'm gonna go a different way. But it's important to not just get on cruise control, not just let it become busy work, not just let it be mundane, but we're gonna continue to hold ourselves to the mission of God, something that he's called us to. And it's something that we can lay hold of. It's something that we can obtain and it doesn't happen by accident. We need to be intentional, we need to be focused. And the way that Nehemiah encouraged the people is by helping them tie their everyday work. He helped them tie it to the understanding of the importance that they were building a legacy. Their physical work was tied to their spiritual inheritance. They weren't just building a wall, they were extending a legacy. Another, re another lesson that we drew from was that a good leader doesn't just call their people to sacrifice and then just direct the whole thing from the palace. But a good leader gets in and does the work with the people. A good leader is, is right there in the trenches. Nehemiah was the boss. He was the boss of the project, but he said, hey, I haven't changed my clothes in weeks. My guards haven't changed their clothes in weeks. My servants, my brothers haven't changed their clothes in weeks. We stink just like the rest of y'all. We're carrying spears wherever we go. We're carrying shovels wherever we go. We're in this just like you guys are. He's not just bossing people around. He was out there setting the pace. He was in the trenches. He's pulling his own weight. That's good leadership. We need that in our homes. We need that in our workplaces. We need that in the church. We need that every place that we have influence. Last thing we talked about was one of the reasons, and, and I'm gonna call attention to this again. I, I said this last week and I'll say it again. Young people, listen to me. And this doesn't just apply to teenagers and young adults. It applies to everybody. But I want you to get this early in your age. One of the many reasons why the enemy's voice is so loud sometimes is because we're not busy doing anything for God. Part of our confidence against the enemy, part of our confidence against the, the sin is that we are engaged in doing something great for God. When you're busy with God's mission, you don't have time to be distracted. Being busy about God's mission for our lives actually feeds courage to us. But being lazy or apathetic opens the door for the enemy to come in and have influence. Some of us wonder why in the world do we have such a difficult time resisting this temptation? Or why in the world do I have such a difficult time making the right decisions over here. Part of the reason is because you need to get up and attempt something great for God. You just, again, going on cruise control. And if you don't know what your God assignment is, that's okay, go look for it. And until you find it, get engaged in helping someone else with their God assignment. This is good, y'all. <laughs> so this week I've been chewing on more and more of the book of Nehemiah. So we're gonna get into this here. We're actually gonna rewind and go back kind of to the beginning of the story. And we're gonna read through chapters one and two. Are you guys up for that? We're actually gonna read the Bible in church. Praise the Lord. Let's pray first. 
Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you have a wall for us to build. You have a wall for us to build right there in front of our own houses with our families. We're single or married, have kids, don't have kids, whether we're divorced, whatever our situation is, God, there is part of the wall that you have for us to build that's right there out in front of our house. So help us see that. Give us wisdom and strategy and energy to build the wall, right? To do our part of building the wall in front of our house. Help us build the wall here in this church, God, to fortify our church family. And God, I pray that it's not about keeping the world out, but it's so that we can be fortified to minister and go out and be strong as we go out and not be weak as we go out from here. Holy Spirit, we invite you and we ask you and we plead with you to speak to us as we read your word. Bring the words off the page. Bring them to life in us. And Jesus, help us see you all throughout these words. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, well, Nehemiah chapter one. You guys hang in there with me, okay? We're gonna read the Bible. And, uh, and then we're gonna come back and, and hit some highlights. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. In the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. And this is Nehemiah talking himself. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to me and with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned, from, returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things aren't going so well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family, I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. And so this is the word of the Lord that God gave to Moses right here. This is what God said. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations, which is what happened. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, even then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored, which is what was happening. The people you rescued, this is back to Nehemiah, Nehemiah starts, Starts in again to, to the Lord. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. And then this last sentence here, he just kind of throws this in there. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. So he's saying, hey, why, I'm just not just some random guy who's asking for the king's favor. I'm actually have, you know, I have, I'm serving the king. I get to see him every single day. So he's kind of giving us that context. 
Now chapter two. See, it wasn't a long chapter. We can do one more. It like took us three minutes to do that. Chapter two, verse one. Early the following spring in the month of Nisan, like the car you drive, no. During the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Then I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it pleased the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Well, the king and the queen sitting beside him asked, how long will you be gone? When will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. And please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I'm gonna need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for a house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, had sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite, the, the Ammonite official, heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. So I arrived in Jerusalem three days later or I arrived in Jerusalem and then three days after he got to Jerusalem, three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans that God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except for the donkey I was riding. And after dark, I went through the valley gate, past the jackal's well and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burned gates. Then I went to the fountain gate into the king's pool but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. I mean, that's how distressed the walls of Jerusalem were, that his animal couldn't, the donkey couldn't even climb over. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered the gate, at the, entered again at the valley gate. The city officials didn't know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. This is the word of the Lord. So 
going back here to Nehemiah chapter one, verse one, I find it interesting that Nehemiah starts giving us the actual time. He says right here in verse one, in the late autumn, in the month of Kislev. Well, the month of Kislev falls about during our time of November and bleeds a little bit into December. So it's, it's in the late autumn, November-ish, and that's when Nehemiah first hears that Jerusalem is in trouble. The people that have returned to Judah, they're in trouble. It's a disgrace. And his heart breaks. And, and the very first thing that he does is that he decides, I'm gonna pray and fast. He goes into, he, this, this pain that he's dealing with, this inner pain, this mourning that he's dealing with, that his homeland is in ruins, he lets that motivate him to the Lord. How many times do we let pain motivate us away from the Lord and we go, you know, we go to some other kind of thing for a pacifier? It could be all kinds of things. You know, the things that like, you know, the typical things that we think of are like, you know, alcohol or something like that. But what if it's just something as simple of as like Netflix or Facebook? I don't wanna think about this pain right now, so I'm gonna go to my pacifier, Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever it is that you're on. It could be any number of things. Maybe it's even food. Maybe we stress eat, but we're, the point is, those, it's not that, that Facebook is evil. It's not that food is, an, is evil. It's not evil. Praise the Lord, I love food. But the point is, is we're not letting our pain motivate us to drive us to the Lord. We've got to take what's going on the inside of us and go to God. And I love, we're right here, we're on the last stretch of this last week of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. He says, I'm gonna fast and pray. I'm gonna let my pain drive me to, the, to, to Jesus. Well, not to Jesus, but to the Lord. And, and so we've got this happening in the month of November. And then we fast forward. There's a lot here that happens, but I wanna... I'm gonna skip down to the very beginning of chapter two, in the first verse in chapter two, and he says, early the following spring in the month of Nisan, that would be the month of March, that bleeds a little bit also into April. So four months have gone by, and Nehemiah has been chewing on this for four months, and the pain has not left him. He, he still, he still tore up about this. It, it, you know, sometimes things come and they bother us for a season, but then they just, you kind of get over it for a while. But Nehemiah had not gone over this. This is still eating him up every single day. And he's been doing a good job of covering it up because the king says to him, Nehemiah, I've never seen you like this before. You serve me, you've been my cupbearer. You've been serving me wine all these days and I've never seen you like this, and so he's been covering it up well, but now to this day, he comes to this place where I can't cover up anymore. And the king goes, I know you're not sick. What's going on? And he begins to pour his heart out to the king. Now, the thing I wanna turn attention to is, is the time. I've been having some conversations with people over the last couple of weeks and some things I've been noticing in the body of Christ where we kind of, don't give time the proper place it needs in our process of discernment. 
You know, Nehemiah, when he heard the news back in November, he didn't just like go, all right, we're gonna go right now, or we're going to Jerusalem, or we're gonna make this right, right now. No, he took time to go to the Lord, to pray, to fast, to discern. He took time. And so many times, we don't use time in our equation of discernment. We don't let that have its proper place. Sometimes we get so worked up over things, we jump to conclusions before we find out the entire story, and then we go out and then we act rashly. We act prematurely. And then we have to then deal with the consequences of those actions. And I'm not saying sit back and don't care about things. I'm not saying just, if, if there's something though that the Lord is putting in your heart, something that he's bringing to your attention, something for you to do to right a wrong, begin going to the Lord about it. Begin praying and fasting. Begin chewing on that. Begin saying, God, what is it that you want me to do about this? And you don't have to rush out and do it immediately. I remember this in 2000. 16, and uh, the Lord was speaking to Jamie and I about planting Seed Church. And we were in a discernment process probably for about a year before we figured out like the Lord really was telling us to do this. And we have story after story after story. We didn't just get the unction and go out and do it immediately. Obviously, we planted in September of 2017. We got our third birthday coming up. Praise God, church, right? That's awesome. But the Lord began dropping these like little breadcrumbs for us. And we began discerning. And I remember going to Dan Scott, who I was serving at that time. I was on staff at Christ Church in Nashville, and Dan was a lead pastor. And began, went to Dan, and I said, Dan, the Lord has put this in our hearts and I'm not sure what's going to happen. We, we did, a, we did a, a prayer and worship gathering here in Murfreesboro three different times. And the first time that we did it, it wasn't even a fleece. It was just, we just heard of people here in this community that we were in relationship with and that they were desiring a worship experience and they were not connected to the local church or they were getting disconnected to the local church. And I said, man, this, is, this breaks my heart. Let's go and let's gather with these brothers and sisters and let's, let's pray together, let's worship together, let's look at what God's word says, let's look in each other's eyes and say, how are you doing? How can I stand with you? How can I pray with you? Jamie says, oh my gosh, you're talking about planning a church. I said, no, 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 I'm not talking about planning a church. But then, as soon as I said that out of my mouth, I'll go, oh my gosh, is the Holy Spirit asking us to plant a church? Well, we didn't go out and do that immediately. We went and our ha we had our meeting. We had a little gathering. It was in, our, in a room about this big <laughs> right here. It's a tiny little room. And we had a bunch of people show up. And I, was, I don't know. Let's, people asked us after the, after the meeting was over, when are you going to do that again? And we were like, we don't know. We don't have another date on the calendar. We hadn't even thought about putting another date on the calendar. So we looked at it. And we're like, all right, we can do this again in another month from now. And we did it again. And it grew. We did it again. And it grew. 
And we're going, man, God, what are you doing here? Are you calling us to plant a church? And I went to Dan and I said, Dan, I don't know what's going on. This isn't my like strategic way and sneaky way of like planting a church and, you know, leaving Christ church and look, I'm not trying to be sneaky. I'm not trying to be strategic. We're just trying to discern what the Lord's doing. And Dan is such a great leader. Uh, he's so confident in, in the leadership of the Holy Spirit, really. And he said, well, listen, this is something you need to figure out. You need to discern this. He wasn't threatened at all. He didn't, he didn't get scared. He didn't like, oh my gosh, one of the pastors on my staff is gonna leave and gonna take a bunch of people from my church and go plant a church in Murfreesboro. It wasn't that way at all. He just said, you need to get this figured out. You need to figure out, is God calling you to do this or not? And you know what? If you, if you begin to discern that God is doing it, don't be in a hurry. Do it the right way. Take the amount of time that you need because there's a couple of like real life things to think about here. You've got to think about the well-being of your family. You've got to think about the well-being of these other people that are wanting to do this with you. You need to take time to discern. So I'll begin to discern and give Pastor Dan updates. He would speak some wisdom to my life. The Holy Spirit brought Pastor Russell into my life during that time. He was uh, a board member, a prominent member of Seeds Church and the Lord Holy Spirit began speaking to him. He had no clue, no idea what was going on. And then one day he's on his way to church and the Holy Spirit says, you need to go find JD. He's gonna be at this exact place in the building and this is the word that you need to give to him. And so he got out of his car, he walked in the building, he went to that exact same place where the Holy Spirit told him I would be. I was there, he gave me the word. It was another breadcrumb that the Holy Spirit was telling me to go and plant seeds church. And I didn't even say anything to him. I said, thank you for that word, brother. Why didn't I say anything to him? because I'm still taking time. And here's why. Here's why time was important for me and not just the voices of people. Because I told Jamie, I said, I've got to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit is calling us to plant this church and not just a bunch of people in Murfreesboro that want us to come plant it. Because what if one day all those people turn their back on us and we're just left here, what are we gonna do then? I said, I gotta have a word from God because if all those people then turn their back on me and walk away, I can still stand because I have a word from God. But if I don't have a word from God and those people turn, on back, turn their back for me, I'm gonna look like the walls of Jerusalem. I'm gonna be crumbled. I'm gonna be in ruins. My gates are gonna be on fire. But if I have a word from God, I can endure. I can stay standing. I can persevere. Time. I also find this funny. We're not going to get through all this, but it's going to be okay. It's the Bible. It'll be here. <clears throat> it's not changing. <laughs> Just like Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. So here's the other thing. You know, I, I have, you hear people in the body of Christ and they say, oh, I got this word. I got this dream. And listen, I'm all about words and dreams. I'm a gifts of the spirit guy. I'm not a cessationist. I believe the gifts are in operation today. But what we have to do is we have to be grounded. And we have some people who aren't so grounded and they say, well, I have this word. I have this dream. And, or so-and-so came and told me this, or I went and told so-and-so this. And that's great. And then like three, four, five, six weeks later, 
God is saying something completely different than what he said previously, six weeks before. It's like, wait a second. I'm pretty sure God is not schizophrenic. I'm pretty sure God doesn't change his mind on the flip of a coin. You need to do maybe a better job of discerning. Maybe God did say the first thing, but you haven't been able to persevere or take time to continue to discern how to walk that out, and all of a sudden, you're hearing from the Lord something else altogether differently. Mm, pump the brakes. Let's revisit that. Or maybe God didn't say that earlier. And I'm not saying all this to, to heap condemnation on anybody. What I'm saying is, look, let's be wise and let's discern and discern in community together. That was the other thing. Like, I'm so glad I had someone, I'm so glad I wasn't discerning if to, whether to start Seeds Church or not without the help of my wife. We were discerning together. I'm so glad it just wasn't you and me. We were discerning with other people, other leaders, Pastor Dan, other people that we would come in contact with, other people that the Lord would bring into our path. And it took time. The summer of 2015, I think, is when the Lord first started whispering this to us. And it wasn't until September of 2017 when we launched. It's okay not, to not be in a rush. It's okay to take time to discern things. That took up a lot of time. <laughs> All right, let's just do this one other thing here and we'll get to these other ones in another week. So, in chapter one, Nehemiah is distraught. He's praying and fasting. He goes to God. He says, oh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. What is Nehemiah doing right there? He's doing two things. He's opening his prayer to God in two things in one sentence. Number one, he is appealing to the goodness of God. It's not that God is forgetful and he forgets who he is. God knows his character and nature perfectly. But he is saying, God, remember, just remember who you are. I'm appealing to your character. I'm appealing to your nature. I'm appealing to your faithfulness. I'm appealing to your goodness. It's who you are. And as he's saying this, he's reminding himself who God is. He's saying God is faithful. God is good. God has said some things. God said that if we made a mess, that you know what? He would scatter us among the nations, but he said if we would turn back to him, that we would come back and not be exiled, no matter if we were in the furthest corner of the planet, he would bring us back to Israel. And he's reminding himself of what God said. When we go to the Lord with our prayers and petitions, with our before we even get to the place of supplication, before we even get to the place of God, here's what I need. Let's just go to the Lord and appeal to his goodness. Let's just go to God and say, God, this is who you are. That's like when on Wednesday nights when we have prayer, I love it when we just first start out with, God, you're good, you're holy, you're true, you're faithful, you're magnificent, you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing. God, there's nothing higher than you, there's nothing greater than you. Not even close, God. And we're appealing to the goodness of God, reminding ourselves of his character and his nature. And then what does Nehemiah do? 
he gets humble. He says, God, I confess that we've sinned against you. So he doesn't come to God and say, God, you're great, but so am I. Look at me. I'm the king's cupbearer. God used me to do something great. That doesn't really matter right now. Nehemiah is not so worried about reminding God who he is. He's saying about God, you are great. You have the power to do something about this. I'm humbling myself before you, God. I've sinned. My family has sinned. We repent. We turn our back on that thing and we turn to you. But that whole thing is, is a act of humility. We're coming to God with a humble heart. And he says again, remember what you told your servant Moses. Again, he's reminding God and he's reminding mostly really, he's reminding himself what God has said. And then verse 11, he says, listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. God, I delight in honoring you. God, I, I love to obey you. There have been places in my life where I've dealt with such pain where I said to the Lord, God, this hurts so bad that I'm sorry for even being obedient to you. But in the next breath, I say, God, but I love to be obedient to you. God, because my obedience is more important than my pain. My dedication to do the mission that you've called me to outweighs the hurt and the pain that I have to deal with over here. God, it hurts to obey you sometimes, but I love to obey you every time. He said, listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you, who delight in being obedient to you. And then he says, grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. It is okay for you to pray for not just favor with God. You already have favor with God because of Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus did everything for us. We couldn't do for ourselves. We already have favor for God favor from God, but now Nehemiah says, God, give me favor with the king. God, give me favor with my wife. God, give me favor with my boss. God, give me favor with my children. God, give me favor with man. We ought to be praying that. And then what happens? Four months go by. Time, time passes. Four months go by. And Nehemiah's not walking around sad every single day, but this one time he comes into the presence of the king and the king says, what's wrong with you? And he says, well, here's, here's why I messed up. I found out four months ago, that this is what's been going on. And this is, this is what's been eating at me. And I want God to do something great. I want to put my hand to something great for the kingdom of God. And what happens? God grants him favor through the king. The king says, yeah. You can go, you can do it. What do you need? You need letters of recommendation? I'll give you letters. 
You need decrees and orders so that other people in the kingdom won't attack you. You need lumber, I'll get it to you. You need guards and army, I'll get it to you. You need workers, I'll get it to you. You need some of your other brothers and sisters to get, go with you, I'll get it to you. God will give you favor with man. You already have it with him. You already have it with him, but he will give you favor with man. But let's ask for it. Let's ask. Let's, let's come to the Lord. Let's declare his goodness. Let's remind ourselves of who he is and appeal to his character and nature. Let's come in humility and let's ask. Lessons from the wall. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask you right now that these things that we've heard, whether they have come out of my mouth or they have totally bypassed the words that I have said and they have come straight from your spirit to the hearts of the people, Lord, I pray that they would take root now. These seeds, let them, I pray God that our hearts would be good soil to receive these seeds of your word today. God, and that the, when the, when the seed hit the good ground, it produced 30 and 60 and 100 fold. Lord, I pray that for your people sitting here today. I pray that for everyone that's watching online right now. God, I pray that you'd give us wisdom to discern, that we would take time to discern, that we'd find the right community of people around us to discern. God, I pray that we would be people of prayer, that our pain, our circumstances wouldn't push us to go to nurse ourselves with some other pacifier, but God, we would come running to you, Jesus. We'd come and, and we would, before the church even, even organizes it, God, we would find ourselves in a seasons of prayer and fasting. God, that prayer and fasting would be a regular part of spiritual discipline in our lives. And God, I pray that you would do something on the inside of us, concrete this inside of us, this love to be obedient to you. God, I pray that when we get a word from you, we can stay standing strong because we have a word from you. Though none go before me, still I will follow. God, we love to be obedient to you. Lord, I just pray right now for the people, God, people are dealing with hurt, people are dealing with pain, people are dealing with circumstances that are external and circumstances that are internal, God, things that maybe none of us know are going on. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would minister to these people, God. You'd give them strength to endure. You'd give them wisdom. You'd give them insight. For those who are dealing, Lord God, with pain and sickness in their body, I pray that you would bring healing to them in the name of Jesus. Lord, I just think of, uh, of baby Beckett right now, God, who is just a roller coaster with his health all the time. Lord, I pray you're continually bringing healing and strength to him in Jesus' name. God, he's already a living miracle. He, should, he shouldn't even be here, God, except you. And Lord, what you've done for him, you will continue to do. And what you've done for him, you will do for the rest of us, God. Lord, I pray for those who need uh, provision. God, that you would provide it for them. God, those that need answers, that you would whisper it to them. 
God, that need direction, that you would give them some breadcrumbs to follow God. God, that need relationships, God, you'd bring the right people into their life, God. And maybe they need to be out of relationship with some people. Give them the strength and the courage to, to walk away from ties that they need to break. But all these things, God, all these things, we want to build the wall that you've given for us to build. We want to be about your mission, God. Empower your people to extend our spiritual legacy in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.